Welcome back, Warriors. Tunse Sego Anibuju, Queen Ninda Luizi Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And whether we call it nationhood, peoplehood, sovereignty, or self-determination, what we are talking about is governing ourselves according to our own laws, cultures, and practices that speak to our responsibilities to one another, our families, communities, clans, villages, houses, longhouses, and nations. And this is especially important during times of crisis, like during the current COVID-19 pandemic that has impacted our nations all over Turtle Island, north and south of the arbitrary border. And just as the pandemic was about to break out in Canada, First Nations in different parts of Canada and tribal governments in the U.S. were already preparing to close the entrances to their reserves and their traditional territories in order to guard against the transmission of the virus to our citizens, especially our precious elders who hold so much language, knowledge, and wisdom. And while some provinces in Canada have started to reopen, the health threat for First Nations is still very much a live issue, and many First Nations are deciding to keep their borders closed. And today, we have with us um, Gagwis, who is the president of the Haida Nation, who's going to talk to us about the Haida Nation and what it's doing to keep its citizens safe during this pandemic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Pamela. It's uh, an honor to be speaking with you today. Woman of high esteem. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, Because I, I, I can only imagine how much extra busy you have to be in a leadership position during a pandemic. Um, and, and also for taking the time really to help educate our listeners to remind people that this pandemic is still a live issue for First Nations, especially for First Nations. And I'm wondering if you would like to introduce yourself the way you like to. Uh, sure, Pamela, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but uh, I'd just like to say, Singhai uh, La, um, good day to, to your listeners. Kogwis Hanudi Kigaga. Yeah, Haida Loss, good people. Um, my Haida name is Kogwis. Is I'm the president of the Haida Nation. Uh, my English name is Jason Elsop, and I, I represent the, the Haida Nation, and I'm a proud member of the um, Joth Eagle clan from the west coast of Haida Gwaii. So it's an honor to be speaking to you today. Well, thank you so much. And I'm just uh, wondering, uh, like, what was your path to the current position that you have, that you hold today as the president? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, you know, like everybody who I think ends up in um, a leadership position, it's, it's a your own unique journey and um, for me really I am a, a village boy from uh, grew up in Skidigit um, here on Haida Gwaii and um, you know Haida Gwaii out here on the, the west coast of uh, off the west coast of um, you know British Columbia just south of the Alaskan panhandle out, out here on the, the wild west coast and um, you know, lived uh, what I think was a very um, beautiful and, and kind of uh, lucky and, and uh, you know, in our own way, privileged privileged life thanks to um, the, the women in my clan and the people of my community who provided a, a safe and safe and um, healthy community, I, I felt like. And, and so, you know, it's been... Um, yeah, it's kind of been a uh, maybe an unexpected journey in many ways. Um, you know, my um, you know I draw a lot of that strength and leadership from from the women in my my family and my clan, and, and from the strong leaders in my community and in my nation who've um, laid out a path for for us and for future generations to um, pick up and follow. That's continued to make a 
a better life for um, future generations. And so um, my nanai, my grandmother, Tawakawas, Pat Gellerman is um, the matriarch of our, of our clan. You know, one of the leaders of our, our clan and our clan system. And, and she really, um, you know, grew up with, with her mother and, and uh, really connected in a lot to, to the old ways, but mm. also, you know, was one of those who, um, you know, bridged into this uh, new way of life that we've learned and inherited, the good and the bad. Been fortunate that, you know, she was one of those uh, lucky people that um, didn't go to residential school. Um, her her father, you know, wouldn't uh, allow that to happen as he, he was forced to go and, and had that experience. And um, so she was able to kind of really grow up close to her mother. Um, she was one of those, uh, you call it kind of a late surprise baby of sorts. And so <laughs> much, you know, about 20 years younger than her, her siblings. And so she really grew up, you know, close to her mother, uh, my great grandmother. And, and um, you know, really in that old way of just, you know, how hardworking our people are and, and how focused they are on putting up food, you know, moving with the seasons and really looking after each other, looking after people, keeping the clan together, you know, um, holding up the, the uncles and the chiefs and, and, and doing, doing that work of, of being the nurturers and the caretakers and, and um, overseeing the well-being of the clan, the family, the people, the relationships amongst the clans and, and all those important um, protocols of the old ways. And so my grandmother grew up in that way, you know, moving around with her parents, um, harvesting, you know, getting pulled out of school to go and, um, you know, work on, on um, harvesting food and, and living that traditional lifestyle, but, but still living in the, in the reserve herself. And so, you know, those times when there was much, perhaps more um, hard line segregation, you know, needing permission of the Indian agent to leave the reserve and all mm -hmm. those that um, are a common experience of indigenous people in Canada. And so, you know, interesting um, for her is, you know, she, she married young and um, married my, my grandfather who is also Haida, but is also um, of mixed ancestry. Um, he has an English, an English father, and, and his mother, my great grandmother um, Louise Dover, she was a also mixed and ancestry. She was um, Haida and um, part African American, and so he grew up without status on Haida Gwaii in, in one of the logging communities over in Sandspit. And so when my grandmother married my grandfather, you know she was part of that group of people who. Mm. Um, lost their status and, and was, you know, experienced um, kind of that shift to now not being as connected in, in part of her community as she was as a, as a young girl now that she was married. And, you know, that's a part of our, our experience. Um, her older sister, my um, Auntie Ada Yavadovich went through a, a similar thing, you know, marrying a, a uh, non-native person and lost her status and, and so you know a big part of my my family and my experience has been kind of that growing up in that fight for recognition for those who uh, lost their status and were separated from the community by the government in that way and, and not allowed under the Canadian system to to practice their inherent rights and, and had to fight for that and so that's the experience of my mother um, growing up without status in, in between those two worlds and, and having to navigate that and learn learn um in her own way you know how to be Haida and to learn about who she is and but that was always instilled in in them in my my mother and my aunties and by the women in our clan, um, who you are, you are Haida, this is your land and, and you're, in, you're entitled to um, practice your rights into your territory, just like everybody else. And so, you know, that kind of strong 
will and fighting spirit has been you know part of my upbringing and um so anyway in a lot of ways i you know my journey into leadership and into the being part of the leader of the Haida nation is intertwined with that experience and that perspective and that, that many people share and um you know i guess um really um is important to, to, to have that context because uh you know that self-determination is really about that of understanding your your true history um pre-contact and and your rights through the traditional system and the clan system and the uh effects of uh colonization and trying to break that up and, and separate us from our our lands and waters and separate us from each other as people and so that was instilled in me and, and i was fortunate enough to um you know I, I didn't grow up with my status i didn't get it till i was 17 myself um my father is uh, also non-native and so but i was lucky to grow up in skittigate in a in a very um, loving and nurturing community where that really was not an issue for me um and i found a lot of my uh my um leadership and, and team building and um skills in in leading people through sports through basketball which is a big part of our culture and you know i went away to um you know thanks again to that support of everybody i was able to you know do well in school and, and go off to college and university and, and studied business management and, and have a, a master's degree in tourism management from royal roads and was fortunate to win a governor general's award for my research there and you know really live that life that that world of of you know doing what you're quote unquote supposed to do yeah. um in a lot of ways you know so focused on the sports and the education and in um community life that you know maybe not as much of the traditional way so i've been on my own journey of um not traditional but in terms of food gathering and that stuff kind of re rediscovering that myself and um anyway long story mm -hmm. short guess is just you know that's kind of what shaped me and my path into leadership is you know after this growing up on in the community growing up within this nation governance structure that was created um you know i we i was raised in a way where there is this that responsibility to you know get that education to come back and and apply that and use that to keep moving us forward and um you know my my mother my grandmother my aunties family members were were part of um the stand at Othley Gwai, lyle island uh, back in um 1985 um that really i think solidified us as a nation and really helped um, boost up our our governance and in our the momentum that that continues to carry on into today that um, you know when we all work together and we all um, remember who we are and and stand up for ourselves and and stay committed to that um, reclaiming our rightful place here and, and being organized and disciplined that you know we are on this path um back to um where we're supposed to be and, and truly governing all of our our lands and waters and just so grateful for all of those who came before me the ancestors the leaders and everybody at all levels who've contributed to creating this um beautiful system for the Council of the Haida Nation, where you know we have our own constitution um, that uh, weaves us all together, all the levels of our governance, our our, our village councils are part of our constitution, and, and their roles and responsibilities are defined. Our hereditary chiefs council and the, the hereditary leaders, they're part of that constitution, and, and the elected council of the Haida Nation. And so, you know, at, over the um, over the years, with the uh, displacement of our, our people from our traditional territories, you know, all of and the um, impacts of of um, 
smallpox and, and colonization, you know, our, our population went from estimates of around, you know, 20,000 um, down to, you know, I think around 600 people at one point. And just living in, in Skidigit in Old Masset from having villages all around Haida Gwaii. And so, you know, at, at one point, um, all of our, our chiefs had come together and, and recognized, you know, we are much stronger together and, and they, they say, um, put all of the title, territory into one lot in this common bowl approach where we will all share all of Haida Gwaii while we rebuild and work through, work through um, healing and, and rebuilding our nationhood. And, um, you know, that's all encompassed and intertwined in our, in our constitution that um, clans, the, the village council governance, hereditary chiefs, the elected council, the Haida Nation, all work together and, and the elected uh, president, you know, is the spokesperson for the nation. And, um, you know, it's a big responsibility that uh, I'm very humbled and, and honored that to, to be in this position right now. And it's, um, you know, something that I certainly don't take lightly. And, you know, in this um, COVID situation has become, um, you know, something that's been a bit um, unprecedented in, in many ways to kind of look after the health of our own people, but, but the health of um, all the people of Haida Gwaii. Well, that's an incredible background. I, I mean, I had no idea. And I, I think it's, it's something that, you know, grassroots people need to hear this more, um, that, that we've all been so impacted by colonization and, you know, status and non-status and band member, non-band member on and off reserve. Um, but really the kind of glue that keeps us together, you know, ends up being the culture because it's outside of the Indian Act, but just knowing that you come from that place and that experience and that you've never been able to take any of that for granted that you've had to, and your, and you know, the matriarchs in your family have had to actually fight for that recognition. Uh, while at the same time, you know, your nation and your clan is, is telling you that you're still, you know, outside of that process, you're still part of it. And I, th I just think so many more grassroots people need to hear that because, you know, here you are, you're the president of, of the Haida Nation right now. Um, and it's, it's based on your connections and your leadership and your culture with the Haida Nation. And it's not based on whether or not you've been a status Indian since birth. And it's the same with me. I wasn't always a status Indian because of gender discrimination in the Indian Act. I only got my status um, later in life because of court cases um, like Sharon McIver's court case from, and you know her, she's from BC and she's also been one of those matriarchs fighting. And I just think it's really important for people to understand that, you know, the path of our leaders and you've had a really interesting path in the sense that you've, you, you know, you've come from all of this experience, you know, the colonization and the Indian act um, and you know, the threats to our lands and our title and our people. Um, but you've also been able to move forward in both, like the culture, um, your connections to your clan, and, and, you know, that kind of traditional education, while also moving with a formal education, you know, in business and, and tourism and, and sports. Of course, sports is one of one of the most amazing things, we always had sports traditionally, but in terms of what it does for people, in terms of discipline and teamwork and even just your basic health. And so you kind of bring all of this experience together in your leadership. And, and one thing I find just really inspiring for me um, is, is the way that your constitution weaves everybody together. I also think that's important because a lot of the discussions that are happening in different First Nations across the country, because you know we're all very different, 
sometimes people think it has to be one or the other. You can only have an elected leadership or you can only have traditional or you can only do X, Y, and Z when in fact, you know, it's, it's not up to the colonizers to decide how we govern. And you're an example of, you know, everybody's just going to come together in this way and we're going to try to, you know, make everything work for us and heal and rebuild and re-strengthen. And I think that's really, really powerful because it places you in a unique position with regards to defending your lands and waters, defending your rights, um, asserting your rights, and also protecting your people. Because like you said, you have this past of um, some very significant impacts on your population from past pandemics. Um, and, and here we are today, you know, we're facing the COVID-19 or coronavirus pandemic. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your experience, the Haida Nation's experience to date with the coronavirus and, um, you know, this, the health and safety of the people right now and what measures you kind of have in place. Uh, yeah, sure, <clears throat> Pamela. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it, it's been, a, I think, a crazy time for, for everybody, um, but particularly those who are in leadership positions um, in your community and in the, in the health the health world. Um, and I guess for us, you know, we, I think we, we've taken it very seriously since the very beginning, you know, recognizing the um, historical context to what, what we're dealing with. And so for the, the, the Council of the Haida Nation, um, you know, we immediately, I think in, in early uh, mid, um, mid-March, you know, put out travel advisories to our citizens, just, and the people of, all the people of Haida Gwaii, not, not just Haida citizens, um, you know, recommending or asking that they not leave Haida Gwaii um, for spring break. Um, which was just about to occur here on out here on the west coast, and um, you know, ask everyone to stay home and, and try to avoid traveling during the spring break time, and kind of immediately got that advisory out and, and started some of the video messaging um, around some of the, the, the hygiene and safety precautions, and um, you know, things obviously quickly escalated. Um, as everybody started to, to realize, uh, you know, the, the magnitude of a global pandemic here on the horizon um, with the World Health Organization announcement. And um, by um, March 23rd, the Haida, Haida Gwaii had declared a, a state of emergency and started to, uh, yeah, really communicate locally the, um, the lockdown portion in, in response and you know what was really beautiful and, and powerful and unique I think in a lot of ways is um, that state of emergency early on here at the end of March, uh, March 23rd was not just the, the Haida Nation, it wasn't just the council of the Haida Nation, it was the, you know, our, our village councils, the Skidigat Band Council, Old Massive Village Council but also our, our municipal neighbors um, here on Haida Gwaii, the, the village of Queen Charlotte, the village of Masset, um, village of Port Clements and, and you know, the North Coast Regional District, the, the rural areas, you know, they had also um, implemented their own state emergencies under, the, um, under their legislation. And, you know, really heighten that, that everybody, this is serious, you know, it's not here yet, but we, we, we need to take this very seriously. Um, we have such a, a tight knit community. We, we move between each other's communities, between our, our Haida communities and our neighbors. We share, you know, grocery stores and other stores and gas stations. And we're all, you know, friends and family in a lot of ways and quite intertwined in our daily life. And so, we recognize, you know, we need to do this together because um, we can't be doing different things or, or uh, you know, taking different approaches because of that way of life that we have here on Haida Gwaii and that interdependence and interconnectedness with each other. 
And so that that happened together. Um, we we also have um, protocol agreements with our neighboring municipal communities um, that predate um, COVID nineteen in the pandemic. That you know we commit to working together for the betterment of all the people on Haida Gwaii and, and our municipal neighbors have stood with us in, in Supreme Court and in, in supporting the Haida Nation and land use planning. And so we have this history of working together and, you know, in our constitution, we talked about, you know, that's one of the, some of the fundamental preamble is a, um, a message from one of our old chiefs, uh, Louis Collinson, Chief Skidigate, who talks about um, people being like trees in, in that, um, you know, when when a tree stands alone, you know, it's easily, can be easily blown over by the wind. But when a group of trees are together and their roots are intertwined, you know, that we can withstand, we can withstand the strongest of winds, you know, and that's the approach that Haida Nation has taken. Um, and, and it's a preamble in our constitution and, and that's the approach we take with our with our neighbors here and so you know that that's how we got into this and you know over time um, as the province began to escalate its response there was a period there where um, the the, the pro province of British Columbia uh, had rescinded the powers of, of local governments to enact a state of emergency uh, they wanted a province-wide approach and so you know some of those communities who are proactive um, they have those powers rescinded and I think there was a you know a lot of distrust in of them of their own government and I you know I want to speak for them but um, you know we all went through that together that okay well you know we support the Haida Nation and and um, we'll stand with you in, in implementing this state of emergency and so all of our emergency operations center and um, leads and everybody was working together on, you know, let's let's um, keep everybody safe and put in measures to do so. And we've been moving through that process um, together. And you know, there's ups and downs and all that, but I think you know, really looking out for the betterment of all the people of Haida Gwaii. And so that's been our experience, you know, including um, you know, closing down the borders, um, and keeping them closed, you know, up up until the present day. And in, in, in taking this approach of, you know, looking at what's happening in the rest of the province and, you know, um, mirroring it in many ways, but taking a cautious approach that, you know, gives us time to observe what's happening in the rest of the province, in the rest of the country, in the rest of the world, and, and um, give ourselves time to prepare and adapt accordingly for our unique situation here in, a, in an island, in a rural remote community with limited um, health resources. You know, there's only um, about 12 long-term care beds and two ventilators. And, and our communities are all, you know, full of our elders, um, our Haida elders and, and our neighboring communities have many elders. And so, you know, that's, that's what we've been, um, been doing and, and that's, that's been our approach. And, you know, as, um, Everybody's done well in BC and, and the, the curve has been flattened, you know, uh, BC has moved into phase three of their restart plan, which starts to encourage movement and travel and, and tourism within the province and inviting people from outside of the province as well. And, you know, for us, um, we're still preparing, we're, we're still not quite ready to, to welcome visitors yet and, and really just have um, right now the, you know, the ferry BC ferries coming in three times a week, and um, the two airlines have are still not not flying here, and and we're doing our best to um, you know limit our risk and and keep people safe while we prepare, and and then get ourselves ready for you know what it's going to take to keep us safe as we do begin to welcome people back here. So it's been a lot of work. It's been a crazy uh, I don't know what it is, 130 days or so. <laughs> has been kind of going full bore on on uh on this response well it seems to be um you know the same across the country in terms of the approach that first nations take it really has to be tailored to 
the local circumstance. I mean, take for example, in Ontario, the province of Ontario, they've moved to stage three in some parts of the province, but not in other parts of the province, like the greater Toronto area, for example, because the infection rates are at, you know, such a level. And it's the same, you know, we, we also have issues of making sure that the borders are closed um, from certain high traffic, you know, cottage areas that are near First Nations that would use up local resources or, you know, potentially contaminate. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are um, about, you know, provinces doing a province-wide kind of measure versus working with different regions and provinces and different First Nations and localities to make sure that whatever stage they go to is more regional, a more of a regional approach as opposed to just like one size fits all. Yeah, thanks for that question. I think, um, you know, that's been, you know, one of our um, biggest challenges in our, our pandemic response for, for Haida Gwaii and the Haida Nation has been, um, you know, trying to carve out that space for a different approach for our unique circumstances. And I think a lot of our communities, I mean, Haida Gwaii, the North Coast and Central Coast, um, uh, the more remote areas, um, we've all flagged that, um, you know, we, we do need to take a different approach. We're not, we don't have the resources, healthcare resources and the, the response and the, um, the access to um, personal protective equipment and cleaning and training and all the things that maybe are more accessible in the uh, urban areas and the lower mainland. Uh, of BC and um, you know been been trying to uh, communicate that and work with the provincial government throughout this and you know each time there has been a um, a shift in provincial health orders you know we've been trying to communicate our our concerns and unique circumstances and you know it's been um, again it's been a challenging situation you know on one mm -hmm. hand we're we're very um, proud and and grateful and of everybody in BC for being so disciplined and, and us doing very well um, compared to to other provinces and other major cities um, you know the risk was very high that um, things could have gone the other way but everybody took this very seriously you know provincial health officer Dr. Henry everyone has a great deal of respect for her and her work and her approach and there's no arguing with the success of the province of BC. And we've been very respectful and, and clear of that throughout this process and, and grateful. Um, and I think, you know, one of the challenges we ran into early on though is, you know, it's really, it's based on a lot of trust of individuals, of individual citizens of British Columbians to just listen and follow the rules and, um, you know, there's provincial health orders in place, but not necessarily um, hard enforcement or systems to monitor whether they're being adhered to, which, you know, we've taken up on our on the ground to make sure that people were following even BC's orders early on with the travel restrictions. I think, um, you know, it happened in, in March into April. And, you know, normally this time of year is when we start to see visitors and and, and travel into our territories um, for, you know, tourism experiences, but also for um, people come for hunting and fishing and those kind of things. And so, you know, immediately we recognized, you know, that was a risk and a concern and, you know, put up the information, that our, our checkpoints and um, started communicating that information that, we, you know, we really aren't open to visitors and to, and to follow those orders and to follow our orders and really give the context of the situation on Haida Gwaii and our ability to um, respond to any outbreaks. And so we ended up in that situation where, you know, as, in, as Indigenous communities in particular, we don't always, you know, have um, that trust in, in individuals to all do the right thing or that trust in the government. And, um, 
you know, that, and communicate, you know, it's going to take us more time to build that trust. And, you know, we've experienced people coming, exploiting our territories, um, being disrespectful to us over our history and in our territory. So to ask us just to have that kind of blind trust and faith mm -hmm. in individuals who don't always don't, a lot of people out there don't respect indigenous nations and jurisdictions and don't have a, a an education in the history and the culture and the context and sense of entitlement and, and all those privilege and all those things that we're all too familiar with in indigenous communities. And so, you know, it wasn't enough for us just to sit back and, and say, well, okay, we'll trust and, and, um, you know, we'll, we're all going to stay home and, and stay in the reserve and stay in our communities and be safe while we see, you know, people from outside coming and moving around and, feeling like potentially, you know, this is a place that's safe and that they could come and play while we're all taking this very seriously. In mm -hmm. our and people have been, you know, we've lost people throughout this pandemic and we haven't been able to gather properly for funerals and for, for mourning and to, to feast and, and all those things that are so important part of our culture to even hug your grandmother, um, be with your own family members and, and to have people coming for leisure or coming for whatever reason, um, you know, it was a real considered disrespectful. And, and um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we were taking all the measures we could to um, create, try to create our own little bubble so that we could try to get back to a little bit of normal life and for our own, our own um, well-being and for our elders and, and our people to not feel, you know, again, held hostage in your own community and, and in your home out of, out of fear of um, people coming who maybe aren't taking this as seriously as we are. Well, I think those are like such good points for people to understand because when it comes to a pandemic, although we would love to just trust everybody and assume that everyone is going to follow the rules and no one's going to travel if they're sick and, you know, do all the right hygiene, we know that that's not the case. We know that there are people who, even for themselves, don't believe in masks. They don't believe in the pandemic. Um, they're trying to skirt the rules. And that, that in and of itself, you know, even aside from the fact that um, this is, indigenous territory, it poses a, a significant risk, literally at a time when we're all closed in our houses. And like you said, we can't go see our grandparents and have feasts and funerals for the sake of protecting one another. It would make no sense then to allow tons and tons and tons of people to come in and increase that risk when everybody's already doing their part. To, to not have that risk. And I mean, we only have to look at the United States as an example. You know, they, they have a certain rate of infections. They open up the beaches. A week later, their infections skyrocket. Um, it's because you can't assume that people are always going to follow the rules. And then there's people who, who blatantly, you know, um, don't follow those rules. But it's even... It's even just the way in which the provinces, federal governments, or others like in the US weigh economics over health. So opening up all these flights to full flights now, you know, we had everybody's COVID numbers were going down and now we have more than 26 flights in the last week that multiple rows of people have been infected with COVID. So imagine, you know, just one group of tourists coming into your territory and only one needs to have it and only one needs to be in contact. And then that's a potential risk. And we know how bad it can be from examples like the Navajo Nation in the United States, how it just spread like wildfire. And those are the kinds of things that I think nation, you know, our, our First Nations across the country are really trying to make sure that doesn't happen. To, to make sure that this time around, the stats aren't that we have higher levels of infections and intensive care and death, that it really is about protecting people. And I'm sure that for you, there must also be some economic impact. This isn't just about health. So when you make these decisions, 
you're making them from a place of responsibility, knowing that everybody has to sacrifice both personally and economically to protect everyone. And I'm sure this is must have had a bit of an impact, economic impact on your nation as well. Yeah, for sure, um, Pamela. Like I think you know that's one of the things to needs to be acknowledged is um, you know in this case you know we're, we're putting health um, is the top priority, but you know for the Haida Nation and the people of Haida Gwaii, you know tourism has been a um, is an important part of the economy, and you know we're we don't want to make people feel bad or un unwelcome. It's just mm -hmm. we're saying we're not open right now and we're looking forward to the day when we can all kind of get back to some form of normal and and welcome people back here for to, to experience um our culture and our, our beautiful territory in a in a respectful and kind way however when when people are um in this place of um concern and fear and anxiety it, it's just not really the time or place for for that experience and, and our communities have invested you know, heavily in, in transitioning the economy from into tourism, you know, trying to transition from uh, more of the resource extraction industries to tourism. And, you know, here on, for the Haida Nation, um, um, for our our businesses, you know, we have a number of tourism businesses, um, Haida House at Talel, and we've been working on a new um, um, resort in, in Old Masset and new cabins and, you know, looking to expand this year, some of our assets and, and for our communities, you know, Old Masset has invested in um, cabins and, and accommodation out on at High Ellen, the Toe Hill area and, and Skidigit as the world renowned, you know, Haida Heritage Center at Kailnagai and Haida Gwai Museum. And, you know, Guayhanas is, uh, you know, one of the highest rated, um, destinations and in Haida Gwaii has been a bucket list trip for many people and you know we've been willing as communities to um, you know make that sacrifice for this season and, and refocus our efforts on on next year and and try to um, re reframe this for Haida Gwaii as an opportunity for us all to stay here and, and enjoy our home territory mm -hmm. in our own backyard and there's a great program through our local Gwaii Trust Society for, for staycations where people can, um, you know, get up $250 a person, I believe, to experience a local um, tourism experience, a staycation. And so, you know, a lot of, all of our, you know, so many of our local businesses and uh, business owners have, you know, they were very proactive early on shutting down even before being ordered to and, have been respective of the um, the measures and respective of the Haida Nation jurisdiction, and, and recognize you know that um, tourism is a business requires you know the support of the community and the social license and and that um, to provide the kind of experience that's memorable and and that has people coming back for and you know we've been willing to make that sacrifice at a community level. However, as um, BC moved into um, phase three of their plan, you know, I think that we, we started to run into these challenges with some of the um, remote um, luxury sport fishing resorts. So with um, phase three of uh, BC allows the opening of resorts along with tourism and travel within the province. And so, you know, those businesses, um, some of those businesses you know, have pushed, you know, for an opening um, against our jurisdiction, against our measures. And, um, you know, a couple of them have opened and started to um, bring in bring in guests, which is, you know, causing a great deal of concern in the community and has, you know, to many has been a great sign of, um, of disrespect that at this time in a global health pandemic that, um, you know, these businesses that have been operating for, you know, 20, 30 years and have, um, you know, I think generated significant wealth off of this territory in, in, uh, in our homeland are unable to, you know, sacrifice for one season for, for the um, 
out of respect for Haida Gwaii, out of respect for the Haida Nation, and, and for the people um, to kind of have that peace of mind after all of this, um, I guess in a lot of ways is trauma and uh, connected to historical traumas as well uh, to be, to have those from outside once again, kind of just pushing and, and, and feeling entitled and privileged and um, as though they have a, a greater right than those of the true rights and title holders of the territory. Well, and I guess that's just another reason why, you know, um, exercising self-determination and governance over your territory for the collective benefit of everybody, both, you know, Haida Nation citizens, but, all, you know, also your local neighbors and businesses, municipalities and residents. It seems like for the most part, everybody's working together. It's just, you know, there's always going to be exceptions of of like this example you just mentioned of people who aren't respecting rights of the territory that they're in because those rights are, you know have not been ceded and you know you're the ones that are the the true governing force and you know just kind of as a follow-up to that i've seen some um media articles about haida matriarchs um, out on the land and different statements saying that they're out there to protect the land to make sure that it um, that tourism is closed for the season. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Like, what is their role um, out there in the larger context of of you closing um, non-resident leisure travel on Haida Gwaii? Yeah, the um, the daughters of the river um, mm -hmm. have put out there their statement and, and their look, you know, occupying or reoccupying one of our, you know, our traditional camps and our traditional territory and, um, you know, really wanting to be out there and have a presence and make sure that, um, you know, those visitors who are coming is part of those opening of um, Queen Charlotte Lodge are, are well aware that Ida Gwaii is still in a state of emergency and, and at this time they're not welcome. And, you know, um, there's, you know, others who've been out um, food fishing, you know, food sovereignty is, has been a, a big push throughout this pandemic. Um, everybody recognizing that, you know, some of these um, food distribution systems and, and these things could start to fall apart and, you know, food sovereignty and looking after ourselves uh, in that way is of utmost importance right now and a great opportunity to, um, take a proactive approach to that and you know to have I think people coming in to fish for fun and, and you know um, to you know come for their own pleasure at a time when people are struggling and people are concerned about their future and these people obviously have the, the means and the wealth to look after themselves throughout the, the challenging times ahead and for a lot of our people, we still struggle and, and have issues with with poverty and, and um, you know, the, the salmon have looked after us for, for thousands of years. And, you know, at, at this time, our some of our, our sockeye rivers have been have been closed uh, due to, you know, low population, low stocks. And, and so the, uh, the Chinook fishery out there is, um, you know, one of the important food sources and so you know I think in a lot of ways as you've seen um, with the with the, the pandemic and, and what we've seen on around the world with um, the Black Lives Matter movement that this is all quite a um, opportunistic time as well for people to to um, feel empowered and, and to speak out against kind of those issues of, of privilege and and systematic oppression and racism that, you know, in a lot of ways, this feels like to people. Um, and so for, again, for the Council of the Haida Nation, you know, a lot of our dialogue and, and work has been centered on, on COVID safety. And that is, I think, where the Daughters of the Rivers are focused. But, you know, there's no denying there's an underlying 
movement going on and, and to many people, you know, after being stuck inside, wanting to get back out and mm-hmm. occupy your territories and get back to being um, food secure and food sovereign and looking after yourself has all been part of this COVID-19 response and wanting to feel good and, and do that in a good way without feeling concern around visitors coming in and COVID-19. And, and I think, um, so, so all of that's in the mix. It's quite mm-hmm. you know, um, interesting times that way and a great opportunity for, for everybody to, to relook at our own society and our own culture and lives to um, improve things. And um, I think that's a lot of what people are experiencing and feeling right now. And, you know, it's been a, a, an interesting, challenging and, and um, exciting times. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think we're also dealing with in terms of that bigger issue of um, relate, um, you know, reconciliation and, and relationships between communities and cultures and governments is, um, you know, what we are asking for here on Haida Gwaii are, are implementing for Haida Gwaii and for, through the Haida Nation is, you know, reasonable measures to, um, you know, we're not ready for visitors. Many of the measures we put in, we've put in place are, are similar to other provinces and territories and other countries. And, you know, um, we're not being unreasonable people here. We're just trying to look after the health of our, our communities, the health of our islands, um, in, in the well-being of all. And that includes your, your physical health, your, you know, your mental health, having psychological safety in your own territory and, and to have, uh, you know, helicopters flying in over your town, bringing people in from who knows where and not, not having that level of, um, of uh, safety overall, you know, is having impacts on our, on our people. And, and so, you know, I think all of that is kind of, kind of um, welling up right now. And, um, you know, it, it uh, you know, it could be a, um, a bit of a reawakening, I think, for, for people as well as, again, as we've been seeing happen um, around the world. Well, yeah, and, I, and I'm really glad you mentioned the whole, you know, mental health and well-being aspect of it, because it's hard enough for many people being in a pandemic. It's hard enough um, when family life and work life and, you know, our cultural life is so significantly interrupted. Um, and, and, you know, that, that can cause a great deal of, of anxiety and upset. And then think about people who already struggle with some mental health issues and then to add that on top of it. Um, but then to have the added stress and worry of, like you said, helicopters coming in and you don't know who's coming in where they're going to be, if that's going to expose you or your grandmother or your family, you know, to the pandemic, despite all of your great work to to stop that from happening, that that's, you know, that's added stress that doesn't need to be there. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that hasn't really been talked about. It hasn't really been acknowledged, but it's all, it's already difficult, especially for native peoples, who are already in a context of, you know, racism and violence and discrimination and impoverishment, all, you know, all from Canada's colonial history and its ongoing, you know, genocidal present. And so I think that, you know, that speaks a lot to your measures. And I, and I think ultimately that's what self-determination is. You decide collectively with your own governance structures, with your own people, what's safe and reasonable for Haida. And that's something you have the right to make those decisions. You have the right to enforce those laws. You have the right to protect your people. And that's something that everyone should follow and you know, the fact that you have to keep reminding people about that, it's its one of those things um, that presents a challenge. And, you know, it's not just a challenge in, in, in Haida Gwaii. There's, 
you know, tribal governments in the US and other First Nations in Canada have faced some degree of pushback. It seems to be on the fewer side, you know, on the exceptional side of things, the majority of people seem to understand, but there's always those exceptions. Um, and so do you have any measures in place in addition to all of your outreach? Like I've, I, you know, I've heard you in the media, you have videos on YouTube that are explaining it, giving the updates, you know, the, the rationale behind um, closing down the territory to non-residents and leisure travel. You post things on your website, Council of the Haida, you know, you see all your updates. Um, so you, you've really done a lot of outreach to help explain to people. You didn't just pronounce it, but you're like, here's, here's the reasons why, you know, with a view for people to be understanding, but do you also have measures in place on the ground to remind people who are trying to access the territory or preventative measures to make sure that people don't access the territory? Um, you know, there are checkpoints in place for, for ferry traffic and, and protocols for, you know, um, some of the entry points, uh, docks and Mm -hmm. Harbors and, and seaplanes. We have a essential, essential work permit process, you know, for those who are coming in for essential work. And so we we're, we're building those things as we as we go here and mm -hmm. <laughs> putting those in place. And you know, I think over, a lot of it is is relationship building as well, and, mm -hmm. and education, and just you know, communicating and having people understand where we're coming from and you know, you know, there is trust involved too in, in trying to just get pe people the inf context and the information and, and that they'll do the right thing um, for, for the betterment of all and for the longer term relationship and approach. And, you know, I think that, you know, that's, there's the challenges, but the opportunity in, within all of this is that continued education mm -hmm. uh, around um, situations in Indigenous communities and and how there is still quite a divide at times between, you know, our, ourselves, our indigenous governments and provincial and, and national governments and with business. And, you know, I'd hope that we can all turn this into an opportunity to educate each other and really understand more about, um, you know, the challenges we face as indigenous people and governments, but also the opportunities we have to, to learn from this and to work together and, you know, but at times that does take sacrifice and, and goodwill and building social license. And, you know, if they really, if people could really understand the, you know, we're dealing with a, a number of epidemics in our communities already with the pandemic stacked on top of it. And, and all of those, all those things in, in the historical context and historical traumas, um, you know, if, if we can continue to, um, try to educate each other and understand each other, you know, business and economics is part of our life and our world too. And, you know, we just um, have a different perspective, I think on, on balance between those things and, and trying to strike that balance and, um, you know, operating from a place of, of respect and understanding and, you know, some, you know, for, for us, sometimes that's going to mean, you know, we feel like in a lot of ways, throughout our, our lifetimes and, and those of um, our parents and grandparents have, they have done the sacrificing and the compromising and the, um, you know, being nice and making things work and all that for many years. And many people have made fortunes and great deals of money and, and um, you know, can't afford to sacrifice for a year or for a short period of time um, to build a relationship to, to um, try to make things right in this situation where, you know, health is the top priority. It doesn't mean we don't understand the bigger picture and all the moving parts in the context, but in this case, you know, health is the priority. You know, balance can come out of this, um, but we all have to be, um, you know, willing and open to uh, to listen and, and learn and, and um, have that chance to educate, you know, those who are in a lot of ways, maybe ignorant or unaware. And in some cases people are aware and there's entitlement and privilege and that's, that's all part of this too. And, you know, that's what we're all, we're all facing um, 
across the globe. So true. And, you know, you talk a lot about, in addition to challenges, there's also opportunities to, to work together in different, new or different ways, for example. Do you see this pandemic as a chance to look at how, you know, First Nations, all levels of government, businesses and municipalities can work closer together, not just on pandemics, but on all of the issues that, you know, play that interfere with our relationship, you know, because non-communication and non-education about these issues seems to be the number one stumbling blocks in having people respect our rights. Do you think that out of this pandemic could come a, a new or better way of engaging with one another on governing decisions? Because what you're doing is actually governing and, and enforcing your own laws. Is that, do you think, do you see opportunity for that in the future? You know, I do. I, I think, you know, in, sometimes in, in later situations you have no, no choice but to see the opportunity and the hope um, of what you can turn your situation into. And again, I think in the, um, in this situation where it's about health, the health of all people and, and well-being, you know, if we can't work together for, for that purpose, you know, I think it's a, it's going to be, it's a chance to, to kind of have a building block for other things, but I think it's a common, a common uh, interest of all people to be, you know, healthy, happy societies and, and have good, you know, healthy children and, and look after our elders and vulnerable. And, you know, we may come at times with um, different backgrounds or perspectives, but, you know, we all have that same interest in, in being happy and healthy and, and wanting better for our children and, and our future generations. And so, you know, health is the foundation of that. Yeah, I mean, for all of us, and with a pandemic, it's not like it's just isolated. If if we're sick, they're sick, and vice versa. And so I, I I really appreciate that you see it on this larger relational collective um, perspective. And and I know you're super busy, and and yeah. but I just wanted to ask before we let you go: Is there anything that we can do to help um, support the Haida Nation? at this time is there is there anything we can do to help spread the word for you uh yeah thanks pamela and to, to your listeners um yeah i think you know one is um if people can you know look up the daughters of the river on, on their i think social media presence and and support them and the the camp and and the occupation there um there's opportunities for donations and things there and i, I think also you know to um I guess uh, find other ways, whether it's you know writing to the provincial government or or um, to businesses and others to um, you know let them know that you support the Haida Nation's jurisdiction, you support what's happening on Haida Gwaii, and, and just spread that word as as much as you can. As um, you know, I think at times you know in the way these stories get presented. Um, it doesn't show that there there is that groundswell of support mm -hmm. community level and at the individual level and uh you know from our experience um we've we've had a lot of support from our neighbors from local businesses and the majority of people are recognizing that um you know health right now is the top priority for for sure i mean health is literally the basis of life so we will do our best um i'll post link to your most recent youtube video where you really go into a lot of detail about the things that you talked about here in terms of you know why it has to be closed and working together and that um you know it's important to respect Haida Nation jurisdiction and also your website which has regular press releases and updates about what's happening what you're doing with regard to the pandemic for people who want to know and um, yeah we'll make sure that you know we get our grassroots folks on the ground sending letters doing emails 
uh, speaking out to support the Haida Nation because ultimately it's about your future. It's about the safety of your elders. It's about the governance of your territories and um, making sure that everybody is healthy and happy and secure. And we want to do whatever we can to support that. So thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and, and this important background and really reinforcing how important it is for everybody to respect the laws of the Haida and you know protecting the health and well-being of everybody including neighbors i i really appreciate your perspective and taking so much time okay hawa pamela and take care and be well thank you so much and thank you to all of the warrior life podcast listeners for tuning in i'll make sure to post all of these links so you can stay up to date if you like this episode, please consider supporting it by subscribing, liking, and most importantly, sharing the episode and, and making sure it has a wide reach, especially with other activists, so we can put the pressure on to support the Haida. We really need everyone's help on this issue. And don't forget, we also have a new podcast for kids and it's called Warrior Kids, where we celebrate everything Indigenous, educate about Native rights, and we help bring kids of all backgrounds together to become warriors for social justice and earth justice and doing good in the world. Um, you can access this podcast everywhere that there is a podcast app. You can follow my social media. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag. Well,